let's pray before we start. Dear God, blah, 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 yada, 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 ho-hum, ho-hum, cliche, cliche, memorized phrase, blah, blah, blah. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, we've been doing a spiritual worldview series, talking about the spirit world. I want you to think of things as spiritual and not just um, the physical, biological world. That's not all there is. It's there, but spirit world is real. And we live in a, the spirits live in a dimension that is higher than us. It's not higher like outer space, higher as in overlaid in a dimension that we cannot see, just like cell phone and radio waves. They're here, but you have to be tuned in to catch them, right? Got to have your tuner on. So it's invisible, but the spirit world manipulates our world. And um, if you're tuned in, you can hear and see it. Jesus said that you can have open eyes in order to see it. It's not physical sight, and he probably doesn't even mean a spiritual vision. He means the eyes of faith. Yeah, you may have a spiritual vision and see something, but that's not really what Jesus is meaning. He's meaning the eyes of faith, that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is here, and this room is full of the Holy Spirit of God, the light of the glory of God, angels, possibly a few dark spirits too. I don't know, but they're here. And we interact with that world. You interact with that world. You were not just singing to Ted. Right? You're interacting with the spirit world when you worship. You don't pray to the air. You, you are talking into the spirit world or the kingdom of heaven. And those beings interact with you when you read the word of God. And it comes alive and burns in your heart and you feel like God is talking to you he is he is and if you feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit to do this or say that um, then you may have a miracle event happen or a prophecy come to you where you know the Holy Spirit wants you to say this thing to that person and maybe it's uh, you feel the presence of Jesus during prayer or worship or you feel the love of God to you that's you that's the spirit world interacting with you you may have the gift of discerning of spirits and some people do you may have a dream or a vision that you think is particularly meaningful or powerful so it's there and it's real and you interact with it and it and the beings there interact with you but describing the world of the spirits good and bad is very difficult uh, and I, the example i've used before would be like a salmon or a steelhead that swam up the columbia river and saw the dams and the interstate and the city lights and then went back out and tried to describe to the sharks and whales and dolphins what life on land was like it's a world that a fish not only doesn't know about but can't enter anything we see in the spirit world is seriously just a glimpse like a fish jumping above the water and it sees something that's that's us in the spirit it's a world we cannot enter we can kind of catch a glimpse of it but then there's no language for what we saw or what we felt and it's why it's so hard to describe even the good things that god does in your heart it's very difficult to put it into words for other people it's the language of parable and symbolism and metaphor and prophecy and dream but there is spiritual activity and interaction all through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Miracles and spiritual events and prophecy and angel visions, angel visits and angel armies and dreams and visions of heaven and demons manifesting and curses and healings and resurrection from the dead. And those events actually happened and they still happen. It's not fables or fairy tales to teach us a lesson. It's real history and it's really truly present now. 
So I want to give you uh, another glimpse of what life is like in the spirit world through um, a story that's really important um, from the Gospels that uh, recorded of an interaction with Jesus. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 8 on the screen. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion, that's a Roman military officer, it's from the word century, he's the commander of a hundred men. A century was a hundred soldiers, it was the smaller division in the Roman army. A centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to this servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So, this centurion comes to Jesus and asks for his servant to be healed. Jesus said, I will come. And the centurion says, you don't even need to come. I'm not worthy that you should, your shadow should fall on my door. Just say the word, because I know how this works. He said, I also am a man under authority, having people under me. And when I say, do this, they do it. When I say jump, they say, how high? Now, he never explains, the centurion doesn't explain how he knows that applies to Jesus. But it's very obvious that he understands Jesus has soldiers and servants too. In the natural, Jesus is a penniless, homeless rabbi. This centurion has a spiritual worldview. He understands that Jesus has millions of angels at his command. He isn't necessarily referring to the power of the Holy Spirit. He is talking about soldiers and servants. You give the command and they will go. You don't even need to come to my house. Just give the order and it will happen. I understand how that works. And it says Jesus marveled. Wow! I have never seen such great faith. And nowhere in the rest of the record of Jesus' life did he ever say anything surpassed this. This is the greatest faith Jesus ever found is that somebody understood that he had authority in the Spirit. So I want to know what that is. If Jesus says this is the greatest faith, the centurion says, I just want to highlight some phrases. He says, just speak the word because I understand that's all I have to do is say it and it gets done. And so he said, just speak the word. He said, I say to this one and he goes. Here's this centurion. He has a hundred soldiers and some amount of servants. And he understands that Jesus has soldiers and servants under him. And Hebrews 1 tells us who those are. Hebrews 1.14, are they, and the context is angels, the entire chapter is about angels, and are angels not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Who does the sending forth according to the centurion? It's Jesus. Jesus has 
soldiers and servants. The centurion has a spiritual worldview. He believes that Jesus is from God. He believes that he possesses the power of God, and he has the authority to command his angelic soldiers and servants to carry out whatever he desires. Jesus says this is the greatest faith, to believe that whatever Jesus commands will happen because he has authority in the spirit world. It's good to know Jesus is directing traffic there. Yes? Yeah. So I want to talk about authority, and spiritual authority specifically, and we're going to spend at least three and maybe four Sundays on this because it's not something I can do all at once. Authority is two things. It is the right to give orders or make law or issue commands, that you must have the right to do that, and you must have the power to enforce what you say. If you don't have both of those, you aren't an authority. The federal government has some sort of right to make laws for our nation, and they have the authority to back it up. The state of Oregon, so on, the county sheriff. Does the county sheriff have the right to issue orders and commands? Yes. Does he have the power or the strength to enforce what he orders? Yes, he does. Yeah. Your employer. Does your employer have the right to make rules, hire and fire, tell the employees what to do? Yes. Do they have a way to enforce that? Yes, they can fire you if you're sloughing off. School principal, does the school principal have authority? Yes, because both are present. The principal has the right to make decisions, to issue orders to the teachers and the students, to make decisions about the way it's going to go, and the principal has the way to enforce that. Yes? Good. That's authority. You have to have both. Because if someone tries to give orders who doesn't have a right to, that's a usurper. We've had a coup of some sort, right? How many of you have had a bossy coworker who was not in charge but tried to be? Uh, and they're always telling other people what to do, but they're not in charge. They don't have any right to be bossy. Right? So you know what it's like when people try to have authority but they don't. Right? Okay, you're all laughing because we all know that. They end up just being a fool. Maybe you have a sibling or a mother-in-law or somebody that tries to tell you what to do when they don't have a right to do it. They're trying to be an authority, but they're not. See, you have to have the right to give orders or issue instruction or make decisions, but you also have to have, even if you have the right, you have to be able to enforce it. Because the boss or the manager, how many of you have had a manager or supervisor at work who was the rightful authority, but they let an employee run over them? Because they were scared to actually make a decision, to actually enforce the company policy or, or whatever the case may be. So they have the right, but they're not, they don't have authority because they're coward. A king or a president who is a weakling will be conquered by somebody else. Even though they have the right to lead or rule or whatever the word may be, somebody who's a, a mentally or emotionally weak leader is going to be coerced by somebody else. So even if somebody has the right to be in charge, if they don't actually enforce, then they don't have authority. Or a king that is the rightful ruler, but his army is too small to defeat the invader, he doesn't have authority. They've got to have both. So Jesus has both in the spirit world. He has the right, the position, he is the king of kings. And he also has an army of a trillion angels. 
Revelation says millions of millions. That's trillions. That's a lot. Lord of hosts is with us. He has the right to rule the universe, and he can enforce whatever he wants. Yeah. When, when, in the garden, when Peter whips out his sword and chops off the guy's ear, Jesus says, Peter, put your, put your sword away. Do you not understand that I could call 12 legions of angels right now to rescue me? A legion is 6,000 Roman soldiers. Seven, uh, Jesus says, I have 72,000 angelic soldiers, and if I call them, they will rescue me. The angels, folks, did not know what was coming. They, I'm sure they expected God at the, at the very last moment, he's going to release us and we're going to go rip him off the cross. I'm sure they were shocked beyond description that Jesus actually died. Because somewhere, Paul wrote, if the spiritual powers had understood the plan of God, they would not have let Jesus be crucified. The powers of hell would not have crucified Jesus if they'd understood the plan. Only the Father and the Son understood the plan. Jesus says, I got 72,000 angels standing by ready to, ready to rescue me at a, at a moment's notice. So he has the right to do something and the power to do it. John 17 Jesus looked toward heaven. This is him praying in the garden the night before he was crucified. He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all people that you might give eternal life to all those you have given him. The next scripture is Matthew 28. After the resurrection, Jesus tells his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He is now the king of kings because he submitted to the cross. Revelation 1.18 says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. If you have the keys to some place, you're in charge of it. Right? Keys are authority. Right? You got the keys to the building, you're in charge of it. Or you're the janitor. That's next week's sermon. The highest rank in the kingdom is humility. Since you can't be king of kings, be the janitor, and you will have the key to every door. Be the lowest servant. It's next week's sermon. And you will have all authority. It's the way the kingdom of heaven works. Authority in the spirit world is different than the earthly world. There's no voting or rioting in the kingdom of heaven. There's no challenge to Jesus' authority or his, his edicts. Jesus just gives the order and it is done. He speaks the word, is what the centurion said. He speaks the word and it happens instantly. See, because when a king wants something done, he doesn't go do it himself. He just says... Let it be done. Right? The kings in the Old Testament where it says David built this or Solomon built this or Manasseh had this construction project. The king is not out there with a shovel. He is sitting on his throne with a crown on his head in a pristine white and purple gown saying, let the building be built. And the servants run off as fast as they can to build whatever the king said to build. But the Bible says the king did it. Because he did. They might be in charge of the architectural plans and the aesthetic plans and the overall big picture, but the king sits on his throne. And it, it, so it is with Jesus and his angels, and it's supposed to be Jesus with us. When Jesus says jump, we say, how high? And Jesus gets all the credit for whatever we do. It is his project. It is his kingdom. So God just speaks a word, and it happens. God spoke the word and the earth was created. 
God said, let there be light, and it was lit. There we go. Jesus comes into the house of Peter's mother-in-law, and she has a fever and is very, very sick. And it doesn't say Jesus prayed. It doesn't say Jesus spoke to her, Peter's mother-in-law. It says Jesus rebuked the fever, and it left. Jesus spoke to the fever. A week before he was crucified, Jesus cursed a fig tree, and it died overnight. He didn't pray. He didn't ask God to do it. He just has authority, and whatever he says happens. The fig tree didn't have any fruit, and he says, may you never bear fruit again. And the next day it was withered from the root up and totally leafless. He spoke to the tree. Jesus commanded the wind and the waves. He was asleep in the boat, and the disciples think they're going to die, and he gets up, and he rebukes the weather. He doesn't pray. He doesn't ask anything. He just speaks to the weather, calm down, and the sea is glass. And the apostles reply, who is this that even the weather obeys him? That's authority, folks. Jesus spoke to the body of a dead girl. Jesus spoke to Lazarus while he was in the grave. He just says it, and it happens. Every town he goes into, he's driving out demons. And a couple of different times, it says, with a word, he drove out every demon. Not even a sentence, a word. Go! Maybe. He just says it, and it's done. That's authority. And then we get to Luke 9, and Jesus gives us authority. Luke 9, 1 and 2. He called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Nobody's brave enough to amen that, huh? Amen! He gave them authority. Hey, guys, you're not just going to follow me around and watch the show. You guys can do some of this. And you're not just going to be out there hoping and wishing and twiddling your thumbs and maybe something will happen. No, I give you authority. Over all demons to cure diseases, to preach the kingdom and heal the sick. Luke 10, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Do you see there the connection between this verse and the story with the centurion? Jesus said, the spirits are subject to you. The centurion said, I say go, and he goes. I say come, and he comes. And Jesus, I know that's like you. And Jesus says, yes, and I give it to you. Don't be too impressed about that. Just be happy that your name's in the book of life. But you have authority. The warning Jesus gives there is important because there are people who can take this and run with it and become very presumptive and actually pretty wicked. Jesus says, don't be too impressed. Just be happy that you're on your way to eternal life. But... You have authority. Use it. Matthew 16. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I got good news for you this morning. You are not a victim. You are not a pawn in the cosmic war. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You are not only a citizen. You are an officer. You are an officer, a law enforcement officer of the kingdom of heaven. 
Bringing God's will to earth. You are authorized to represent Jesus wherever you go. Nothing more and nothing less. You are authorized to represent Jesus wherever you go. You're authorized to enforce God's will, to bring his salvation, his power, and his forgiveness. You are authorized to talk directly to God. That's amazing, actually. We take prayer for granted. That's actually really amazing. You have God's direct number. No matter what your rank in the kingdom is, you may feel like you are 17 levels down. Fine. You still got God's direct number. Call him up. He'll answer the phone. And he will say, I will fix whatever it is you need. Let's take action. Let's do it. You are authorized to talk directly to God. You are Jesus' business partner in the family business. You are. He actually wants to partner with you to do the work that he's doing in bringing salvation and light to the earth. Mark 11. Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt with his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. And therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Whatever you ask when you pray, believe God is hearing you and that you have authority to speak with him and it will happen. That's what Jesus said. In Exodus 7, from the burning bush, God tells Moses, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. That's a strong statement. God tells Moses, when you get there, he's trying to get Moses to not be afraid. Whatever you tell Pharaoh is my word. I will back it up. I have made you as God to Pharaoh. Jeremiah 15, verse 19 God tells Jeremiah when he is either a teenager or very early 20s, God says, you will be my mouth. In Numbers 20, God tells Moses, speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water and you shall bring water for them out of the rock. Just say the word and it will happen. That's authority. In Acts chapter 3, Peter lives out some of this authority that he had seen Jesus walk in. A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to beg money from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Peter speaks the word, and it happens, just like he had seen Jesus for the last three years. In Acts chapter 9, Peter does it again. There's a widow lady named Dorcas who has died. And Peter come and they brought him to the upper room and all the widows stood by him weeping. And Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up and he presented her alive. Peter 
spoke to a dead body. In John chapter 16, Jesus, the very last thing he tells his disciples before he goes to the garden to pray. He says, in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I have come forth from God. Those who are in Christ have full access directly to the Father, to the God of heaven. Jesus says, you ask in my name, he will do whatever you ask. There's a fundamental error of the Catholics and the Orthodox who, trying to be humble, are asking Mary and the saints to pray for them, even to Jesus, so that Jesus can ask the Father for them. And Jesus says, you come to your Father directly, and you have authority of access in me. This is not some arrogant, selfish, presumptive dictating to God, but it is enforcing his will in ministry to other people it is enforcing his will on the forces of darkness jesus makes it very clear here it is relational access you have to come through me but you don't have to ask somebody else to pray for you god wants to answer your prayers it would be like this if my dad won the powerball this week and all of a sudden he's a hundred millionaire and you all know that. News spreads and, oh, Mitch's dad won the Powerball. He's a multimillionaire. And you have a legitimate need, like you have a health problem or you need a new car. You have no relationship with my dad to call him up and ask him for money. That would be really rude and presumptive. People do it to lottery winners all the time. It, it happens, but it's not right. You have no relationship with it, but I do. And if I knew of your need, I could go as a dad. There's this couple in our church that they got a $20,000 medical bill. You got a $300 million. You know, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm interceding. I'm, I'm, it's legitimate. You mind giving them $20,000? That's intercession. Jesus said, it's your dad. You don't have to come through anybody else. It's your dad that is the king of heaven. You have direct access. It isn't presumptive. You don't have to be wimpy about it and ask somebody else to go for you. Your father loves you himself. You have authoritative relational access to God. And it isn't presumptive. Live like it. Live like your prayers are going to be heard and answered. In prayer... In worship, in healing, in communion, miracles, financial provision, divine rescue, spiritual discernment and wisdom, deliverance, whatever you're praying in, whatever you need, you are partnering with Jesus in his authority to bring his name into your life situations. So your prayers are not blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Ho-hum, ho-hum. In Jesus' name, amen. No, when you say in Jesus' name, angels jump. Come on! You better never pray a cliche prayer again, folks. In Jesus' name is not the hashtag at the end of the prayer. 
You just spoke to heaven and said, I am speaking like I am Jesus. This is what I need. This is my worship. This is my thanksgiving. These are my needs. And expect it to happen. Jesus said that is the greatest faith he ever encountered. Let me show you how extreme your authority, your representation of Jesus in this life, in this earth is. We're going to go to Luke chapter 7. A certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. And then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also have a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And to those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who had been sick. Do you see a massive glaring red light? difference between the story I read you at the beginning and this one. What do you see? The centurion is never with Jesus. He sent the elders of the Jews first, thinking that Jesus would listen to a Jew over a Gentile like himself, to beg Jesus and tell him, oh, Jesus, you need to do for this for this guy because he's a good guy. So Jesus begins to come, and then he sends friends from his house. And say, Jesus, I'm not even worthy that you come to my house. In Matthew 8, it said, the centurion came to Jesus. And Jesus said to the centurion. And the centurion went home. Is Matthew lying? Or is Luke lying? No, it's the same story. The centurion was never standing in front of Jesus. He is speaking to him through messengers. And Matthew says, it is the centurion. Because when a master sends a servant in his name, it is the master. We have so totally lost that in our modern world that we don't understand how the ancient world and how the biblical writers looked at this. But Matthew was there. Luke was not. But Luke gives us more details than Matthew did. Matthew saw that the centurion was not there, but he said the centurion was there. Why did he say that? Because the centurion's servant was there. In his name. Luke tells us actually he didn't walk there. He sent a messenger. And he says, through the messenger, he says, I understand how this works. You send a messenger and they go. And it's done. And Jesus says, Luke says, Jesus says, to the messenger. Matthew, Jesus says, to the centurion. Well, did Jesus say it to the centurion? Yes, because the messenger was taking it back to him. That is how completely, thoroughly you represent Jesus when you live in his authority as his messenger. That you are recorded as Jesus. Jesus did this in the record of your life. But Jesus wasn't there in the physical. 
biological world working out. You were. But in the spirit, it is Jesus. The only thing that we have in our world that is even remotely close to that might be the news media saying, the president announced da-da-da-da-da-da today, and actually wasn't the president, it was Sarah Sanders, the press secretary. That might happen. Right? But the president gets credit for the announcement because it's coming from him. That's the only thing even remotely close to how the ancient world saw the relationship between master and servant. And when a servant or a messenger or a soldier came in the name of their leader or master or authority, they were to be treated as if this messenger is personally the king or the centurion or the master or whatever the case may be. You represent Jesus in all his authority in every situation you're in. When you pray and serve in Jesus' name, it is as if Jesus is really there because he is. In your family, at work, at school, in an emergency, in sickness, in distress, with the waitress or the cashier or the widow neighbor or the foster child or the homeless addict, with that infuriating family member, in the hospital room or the nursing home or the manufacturing floor or the battlefield or the store or the classroom, you are Jesus. Live like it. You represent him in every situation. You are authorized to forgive sin. You are an officer of healing. You have authority over every demon. Your calm words, your caring attention, your merciful gift, your graciousness, your powerful prayer, your forgiveness, your faith when everyone else is afraid, bring the authority of heaven into your situation. And the power of the Holy Spirit and the activity of angels into your family and your workplace and your school. Jesus said, I give you authority. Live like it. Understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying we are become dictators to God about what we demand. You don't see Jesus doing that ever. We're to live like Jesus. We're not commanding the angels to do this or that that we want to happen. We can't demand that God answer our prayers the way we want him to. We're not any sort of earthly authority. You can't go boss your boss or order the governor to do something in Jesus' name. Jesus never did any of that. Jesus never bossed anybody. He set people free. That's what the authority of the kingdom is for. It's to bring salvation and healing and truth and light. The power of the Holy Spirit. Because we are not the authority. We have authority in his name. Right? We are not the authority. Because to be, a, be an authority, you have to have the right and the power. If you're outside the will of God, do you have a right to say anything? No. And if you are resisting Jesus' will, do you have the power to enforce what you want against him? No. We're not the authority. We just have the authority of his name. You hear what I'm saying? Don't get scared about this. I'm not saying that you go around and start shouting at angels and dictating to God. I'm not saying any of that. All authority comes from relationship. All authority. It's another sermon coming up. But a really easy way to demonstrate that is the police officer with a badge. The badge is the authority, not the man or the woman behind the badge. Hello? Okay? The man is just a man. The woman is just a woman. But the badge is the authority because the badge represents the state or the county or the feds or whatever the badge represents. And the officer behind the badge can be fired or even imprisoned if they violate the authority. Hello? 
the person behind the badge is not the authority. They have authority in the name of whatever that badge represents. And if they defy that authority, they themselves can be fired or go to prison. So the man or the woman is not the authority. None of us are the authority. We have authority with the badge of the name of Jesus. Hello? As long as, they're in, as long as the officer is in good relationship with the county or the state or whatever, then they have authority. It's the same with you and me and Jesus. You can't go ordering angels around. You can't command that God has you win the lottery. All right, James says your prayers are not going to be answered if you pray selfishly. Peter says your prayers are not going to be answered if you're in sin against other people. All right? But when you're on good terms with Jesus, don't pray wishing shotgun prayers. Lobbing something up there, hoping something hits something. Pray with authority. God is my Father, and Jesus said I have authority, and this is what I know is God's will, and I say it should happen. Don't wring your hands in hopeless situations. You are an authority. We declare the promises of God with aggressive faith. Aggressive faith. We have full, solid confidence when we walk into trouble. There is peaceful assurance and fearless strength. Because we've been given an authority to bring the will and power of God into the lives of the people around us. We're not helpless victims. We are lions of the kingdom of God. We're not walking around in darkness. We are enveloped in light and we can see the truth and we can know it. We can shine bright and let people in. Amen? We absolutely must be in Christ. We must be in his name. But when we are, you have some authority. You wear the badge. Whatever you ask will be granted, Jesus said. 